Heavenly Father, we have so much doubt in our heart as to your kindness and to your nature and to your character towards us as Father and as the God who is love. Father, please come and lift the fog from our hearts and our minds that we might just see you that little bit more clearly, that your word would come and actually deal with the real issues of our faith and our trust in you. Please bless this time now in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So you can see on your screen that I've got the title, The Persistent Widow or The Faith That Jesus Is Looking For. You might kind of think you can't have two titles, just choose one and leave the other. Well, Jesus actually describes the, the persistent widow in, in a place in a position where she's kind of pestering a judge, but at the end of his parable, he then says, when I come to earth, will I, will I find faith on the earth? What Jesus is really asking is, will I find my people believing that I'm a merciful and gracious God who answers prayer? Will I, kind, will I find that kind of faith? Now, some people interpret this parable, and maybe you're one of them, is, is Jesus asking us through this parable to annoy the heck out of God with ceaseless prayers so that one day he answers us. Now, some of you may think that's what Jesus is saying. Go and harass God. But that's not really what he's asking. Leon Morris says this, This parable is of the how much more of God who will do what is right in comparison to a wicked man with bad motives who will sometimes do good. So, for example, Jesus says, how much more will your heavenly Father give good things to those who ask him? Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. Now, to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all you ask or even imagine. It's, it's a comparison and Jesus is the master teacher. He's always comparing. And I think when I read him sometimes, I think, come on, Jesus, you're exaggerating a little bit. A wicked and unjust judge, how can you compare him to God? But sometimes in what we think is exaggerating language, Jesus is really there trying to encourage our hearts because he knows how quickly we lose courage and how we uh, actually lose heart in prayer and in faith. And the reason is that this age, the age where God's elect are, is the age where we have opponents, we have adversaries, we have afflictions, we have tribulations, we have persecutions and we have trials. And recently, in, uh, in reading one pastor, he said one of the problems in the church is that whenever there is trials or difficulties or tribulations, we actually feel bad about just speaking about it. We almost feel like we've got to put this really good spin on things and then he goes in to say, and me as a pastor, I can be going terribly and my church can be going poorly but I just look for the little things that are happening that are good and then I go and tell my colleagues about them because it makes me feel better. So even here today, we're not really good at being in suffering. We're not really good at being in conflict without sort of saying to, to you, oh, but this is happening. 
And have you ever done that? Have you ever been in a really terrible situation but you kind of then quickly in your next sentence say, oh, but, 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 and put something positive just at the end of it so you don't look like you're a spiritual flop. So we're not good at this. I'm not good at it. I'm probably not that good at it as a pastor either. But Jesus is good at it. And Jesus is pointing us away from me and he's pointing us away from you. Pointing us to somebody who really knows, to somebody who really cares, to somebody who has compassion beyond any person in this room. And I just want to say this before I forget because I'm a little bit tired after this morning. Brothers and sisters, how often have you gone to another human being, even to your parent, even to a a wonderful saint or even to a counsellor and you're looking for help and you find that they're never as patient as you want them to be. They never have the answer that you're looking for. They don't really have the cure that's there to help you. Have you ever found that? Why is that? Because they're not Jesus Christ. They're not God. And so often um, we do help each other, but we're very limited in our ability to help. And have you ever had somebody just come and pour their heart out to you, but you're kind of wanting to cook dinner? You're not really listening with ears of, of deep compassion. You're thinking, hurry up, just finish, finish it so I can get on with my life. Jesus Christ is not like that. The Father is not like that. You can go to him and you can stumble your way through your prayers and you can tell him and you can dribble and you can mix your words up and he's there and he's going, I'm hearing you. He is the God of love and of patience. He's not going to say, I've had enough, now go away. He actually, if anything, really wants to draw out your heart because he wants your heart. He wants all of your heart. Even if in that heart of yours you're asking for wrong things sometimes, God just says, give me your heart. And what I want to do today, hopefully in this parable, is show that even if our prayers are not always answered or even if they're delayed, something happens to us in prayer. Something happens to us in our praying. And that's really, really important for us to know. So, In verse 1, Jesus told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. And there's two things I want you to notice in that verse. One, he is not calling for prayer. He's encouraging those who are already praying. Jesus says the elect are crying to him day and night. He's not saying start your prayer life. He's saying no, during your prayer life you're going to lose heart. I don't want you to lose heart but I know how fragile you are and I know what you're like when God doesn't answer you immediately. You're going to be tempted to lose heart. So the encouragement is for us who are praying to continue to pray. Now who knows in the Old Testament how often the Old Testament saints prayed in a day? Does anybody know? Did I hear somebody say something down here? Somebody say three? Yeah, morning, midday and evening were the, were the prayers. So if you look at David or, or Daniel, 
Now, I'm not saying that so we um, feel terribly guilty, but that was the prayer life of an Old Testament saint. Um, Does anybody know what Luther actually recommends for the church in his catechism? Morning and evening prayers, structured around the Lord's Prayer. And he really has a strong emphasis on young children. He encourages young children to to learn how to pray, especially the Lord's Prayer, and to know its meaning. And the more I read Luther, the more I read he's soaked in prayer. And I don't want to say this to discourage you, but do you know how many hours he spent in prayer every morning? Three. He spent the first three hours in prayer. So if you're truly Lutheran, you've got to get up at 4am now and have three hours of prayer. But but he also sees prayer and faith as identical. And that's where we're going to we're going to try and go with that. So in verse 2, Jesus said in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, "Give me justice or vindication against my adversary." Uh, the word adversary in the rest of the New Testament is only ever used for the devil. It's very interesting. But the fact that the judge neither feared God nor respected man means he was an enemy of God and was not even publicly ashamed of his sinful actions. So Jesus is not exaggerating. He's giving us a, a real story of a man who did not care about other human beings and did not fear God. Now this judge should have, under God's law, had cared for the widow in her afflictions. You would imagine that God would care for a widow in her afflictions. He appoints judges to take care of such people. But there's this double injustice. The widow is not only being poorly mistreated by an adversary, who else is she being poorly mistreated by? The judge. So here she is, being mistreated over here and here she is taking her case to the judge and she's being mistreated here, wouldn't you lose heart? Have you ever just thrown up your hands and said, I give up or I give up on that person? Well, she doesn't. That's really interesting. She's got a double injustice here and on the flip side, the widow is weak and rather powerless in society. And Jesus is always siding with the weak ones, isn't he? He's always kind of in society looking for the outcasts and the insignificant ones and those who are low. And he does it again. He gets a widow who's powerless in society. But despite the power differentiations between the widow and the unjust judge, you've got to remember that in a city a judge is held highly, a widow is held lowly. Despite those differentiations, the widow continues to bother him with specific unjust situation that she's in. Now, this is really important. Jesus is saying this, prayer needs to be specific. It needs to be about your real, real, and let me ask you, are they real situations to you? The widow brought a real and specific situation. Now, I know you young kids would be struggling at school. You would have to be. You would have to be struggling with all kinds of things that come just in peer pressure, let alone your studying. 
I was young once, I know what it's like. There are specific real situations either of suffering or trial or testing or affliction that we are in. And Jesus is saying that this widow was very specific. She brought them to the judge. And Jesus is saying in your prayer life, come and be very, very specific about it. Be real with God. He wants that. Be like an archer who who gets the arrow and pulls it back in the bow and just directs it towards the target. Go to God and direct your petition straight to Him about what's really happening. Can you do that? Will He turn you away? Will He say, hurry it up, hurry that prayer up, I've got to go and make dinner? He won't. He will absorb that prayer. He will make it His own and He will hear you and He won't just hear you. He will listen with a heart that is fixed on you with the deepest kindness and the deepest compassion and the deepest love that you can know. He hears the cry of His elect who cry to Him day and night. And like the persistent widow, there may be delayed answers in prayer. Don't put your hand up, but has anybody experienced delayed answers in prayer? I think all of us have, haven't we, in some some way. And and I just want to just say this to you. you If you are present tense experiencing delayed answers in prayer, but you are praying, God has you where he wants you. If God has you on your knees praying, He has you where He wants you. What does Jesus say? Don't give up. Don't lose heart. Keep praying. If you are calling on God's name, Luther says, then you are obeying the commandments. You have no other gods and you show that you have no other gods because you're calling on the name of Jesus. And if you're crying out to your Heavenly Father, you are expecting all good to come from Him and to come from Him alone. And if you're familiar with your catechism, there's the first two commandments that Luther talks about. Trusting God alone and then calling on His name because you are expecting Him to bring you what you need. So if God has you praying, then you're obeying His commandments. So what about the delayed answers to prayer? What about the constant crying? I mean, crying's painful. What about the constant crying day and night where there are no answers? Well, very often I have found, and this is not a, a written rule that you can follow, but in personal experience, I have found when God has delayed many of my prayers, some of them have fizzled away. They weren't really meant to be prayed. They were just simply no. But nonetheless, I prayed them for a period of time and then they they just disappeared. On other occasions, I have found when God has delayed my answers to prayer, all of a sudden, over a period of time, I have this greater assurance that what I'm asking for is from Him. Things become clearer in my heart. He hasn't immediately answered answered them, but I've been going to Him with them. And by going going with them to Him, there's a greater fervency. All of a sudden, 
I've actually got this clarity that what I'm asking for is, has been God drawing me into his will, drawing me into his purposes. Sometimes God, and more often, is doing more in our hearts, in our praying, than when he gives us the answer. He's doing something in you. I think about, for a moment, Israel in Egypt. Do you remember God heard their cry when they were in slavery? The cry went up to him and eventually he sends Moses. He sends help. But let me ask you this. Who put them in the place where the cry went up? Who put them in Egypt? God did. God placed them there. And therefore their cry actually came out of what God was doing in their life. Who swallowed up Jonah with the whale? Who really swallowed him up? God did. And yet in the belly of the whale, God heard his cry. Are you in the belly of a whale? Do you feel like you're in the belly of a whale? If God can hear you deep in the ocean in the belly of a whale and a prayer goes up through the water, goes into heaven and goes to him and he answers a rat bag like uh, Jonah who kind of remained a bit of a rat bag all of his life, there's a very good chance he's going to answer us. He wasn't a really worthy and godly man, was he? Are you in the whale? Are you down there in the depths? Cry out to God. Call upon me in the day of trouble, says David. And God says what? Call upon me in the day of trouble. I shall deliver you. Listen to this. Call upon God and he says, I shall deliver you and you shall glorify me. What's your job? Call upon him. What's his job? I will deliver you and then I shall glorify you. How much more? God will do more. Now you're understanding this, aren't you? You're all understanding it and I don't need to say anything to anyone who's not praying because if you're not a person of prayer, you will be just deeply convicted. I don't have to go and condemn you for not praying. You'll just feel that something is not right with you. So in verses 4 and 6, For a while the unjust judge refused and afterwards he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down. Literally, give me a black eye is the Greek by her continual coming. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. Jesus wants you to hear this. He wants you to hear that this wicked judge who neither cared about man nor feared God actually finally answers uh, the request of the widow because she's bothering him. And then... Jesus makes the comparison in verse 7 and 8. And what is it? And will not God give? Let's just stop there for a moment. Look at that word give. And will not God give? Who did God give? Who did God give? He gave his one and only son for us. And what were you doing that was so good to have him give you his one and only son? 
Were you doing anything good? In fact, you weren't. You're actually doing everything possibly wrong. But nonetheless, God's giving of his son was not conditional on you. It was actually conditional on the fact that you were sinning and against him, yet he gives out of that kind of generosity unconditional mercy and love. So will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find this kind of faith on the earth? Will he find here among his people at Trinity Lutheran Church a people who believe that God is merciful and gracious towards their prayers. That's what Jesus is saying. And the word speedily, don't think of it as being your time. God's timing is his timing. God's way is his way of answering prayer. And Luther makes the point that when praying, let God answer prayer his way. If you're like me, have you ever gone and prayed and then turned around and started looking for how God was going to answer it? And then when it wasn't answered, did you become a bit discouraged? Well, see, it's a prayer of faith which says, what I'm going to do is I'm going to penetrate the nature and character of God. I'm actually going to go to God because he's merciful and gracious. I'm not going to worry about how he's going to answer it. I'm just going to ask in faith and I'm going to lean on his mercy. I'm just going to lean on his mercy. I'm going to lean on his saving grace. I'm going to lean on the fact that all my sins have been forgiven in his son and by that leaning on him and that praying of faith in him, I'm just going to leave my request with him and what am I going to trust? That he's merciful. That he's gracious. And that he gives justice to his elect. That he answers his children whom he has foreknown. You have been foreknown before the foundation of the world. He knew you beforehand. Does he not know you now? Does he not know you, his elect child? And does he not listen to you? The prayer of faith that Jesus is calling for is the faith that looks to the mercy of God alone which means you've got no trust in yourself. So have you, ever, have you ever said or ever felt in your heart as you're coming to pray, I'm not worthy? Well, when will you be worthy? Will you ever be worthy? And if you are, God help you because it will be a deep prayer of pride. The prayer that Jesus is saying is, no, I know that you're going to feel unworthy. It's a prayer of faith in the mercy of God in Jesus Christ. God in Christ is favourably disposed towards his elect children and our cry comes to him as his children and it even comes through his own son so that when God the Father hears our prayers, it actually comes through Jesus. So can God ignore the prayer of Jesus? Can then he ignore your prayer if you're praying it in faith through Jesus? How wonderful. Your prayer comes through Jesus. The father hears it and he says, ah, there's my child. 
I hear my child. I hear it in the lips of Jesus. And I promise this is my last point and I'm closing now. And I'm just going to read from Hebrews 4 and then a little bit from Luther. Hebrews 4, 15 and 16 says this, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathise with our weakness. Whatever your weakness is, brothers and sisters, Jesus Christ empathises and sympathises with you. But we have a high priest in every respect who has been tempted as, as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And I'll just close with this quote. Luther says this, Prayer is not possible by our own power. It is the Holy Spirit who groans within us. Do you notice how he's gone from words to groaning? Sometimes all it is is a groan. For that very reason, man is not always aware that he is praying. It may be that the only thing he notices around him is adversities swarm about him. And he knows that he has lived in such a way that he deserves adversities. Yet, we dare to hope for God's help because God has promised to be merciful and not for any other reason. A groan of that kind does not get much attention here on earth. But in heaven, the Father says, I hear nothing else. I hear nothing else but the groan of my child. Brothers and sisters, your cry to God the Father is regarded by Him as the only cry He hears, even if it's a groan. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen.